This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, April 15th, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. Student loan debt is on the rise, eclipsing by some measures even credit card debt among young people. And it would be easy to lay the blame at the feet of colleges and universities for raising tuition. But Neil McCluskey, author of Feds in the Classroom, asks, well, just what forces allow them to raise prices with such impunity? So between 2004 and 2012, non-mortgage balances have uh, generally been in uh, some sort of decline or at least ebbing and flowing a little bit. But student debt for people under 30 has climbed very steadily, uh, sort of following a trend where there doesn't seem to be a trend in, in other data sets. Well, other data sets track things that more or less run like a normal market. Obviously, the government has been involved in housing to some extent, and it meddles in a lot of other areas. But the federal government is the primary funder for customers of higher education, and it doesn't function as a result as a real market at all. Basically, what happens is colleges can raise their prices at constant pretty astronomical rates compared to normal inflation. And they can do it because the federal government for years has said, we will make sure that anybody who wants to go to college can pay whatever price they're confronted with. At the very least, they can get the money to do it up front. And a lot of that is federal student loan. So this doesn't respond to normal market fluctuations. It doesn't respond to people who are economizing nearly the way other things do because the federal government saying, everybody go to college and here's the money to do it. Uh, what's also uh, striking about this, so there's one chart here. Uh, this is by Dong Hoon Lee. Uh, he's at the New York Federal Reserve. The opinions expressed, of course, are his and his alone. But the proportion of uh, borrowers age 25 to 30 uh, with new mortgage originations, uh, very few of them have no student debt. That is, people who have, are going into mortgage debt also uh, fewer and fewer of them do not have student loan debt. No, absolutely, because because the norm has become to pay for college with debt. Now, it doesn't mean everybody is graduating with debt. It's still only about two-thirds. But the idea that the average person is going to take on debt, primarily federal loans, to pay for college is baked right into the price. You essentially couldn't afford college in many cases unless you were – prepared to take out student loans. And by far, the friendliest kind of loan you can take out is a federal loan because they're backed by taxpayers. They don't include pricing and risk and things like that because ultimately third parties are going to bear that. Again, the third parties are taxpayers. What has changed between 2004 and today in terms of how students pay for their educations? Well, not a lot has changed in the basics. I mean, the price keeps going up and It's going up because people are using someone else's money predominantly to pay. Uh, There has been, you know, maybe not since 2004, but you could say over the last 15 years or so, a slight change in the mix of whether you're getting grant money, usually Pell grants, but there's some other federal grants, or whether or not you're using student loans. But student debt has been rising for a pretty long time now, well in excess of a decade or two. Uh, And so the general dynamic is completely the same. But because those prices of college keep going up and keep going up much faster than anything else, even much faster than health care, you see that student loan be- debt becoming a bigger and bigger thing relative to all sorts of other kind of debt. And so, you know, we recently passed these big um, – milestones that people have pointed to. For the first time, student debt has exceeded total credit card debt. And for the first time, total student debt is thought to have passed $1 trillion. You know, people 
argue about one or two billion dollars here or there. But both of those are pretty big things. So it's not that how we pay for college has changed that much, but that price just keeps going up inexorably, unlike almost anything else. It's my understanding that traditionally student loans have had the highest rates of delinquency. So there have to be, uh, even if, even with private borrowers, there has to be something telling them that it's okay to keep making these loans. Well, first thing you have to know, there are very few truly private borrowers. So for a long time, the federal government ran something called Guaranteed Loans, a uh, FELL program, you might have seen them called that. Uh, and those you would have gone to a bank or you'd have gone to Sally May, which was ostensibly private but was really a federal creation. And you'd have gone to those, those places that you think of as being private financial institutions and you'd get a, a federal student loan. So it's like the bank was giving you money, but all the risk was borne by taxpayers. Um, and so, you know, that was a big way people got money, and they think of it as being private, but that wasn't truly private. We don't have any of that now because the government under actually Obamacare, this is a little part they snuck in because when you're going to do higher ed policy, why not sneak it in to a huge health care bill? But they got rid of that guaranteed loaning and er lending, and everything now comes from the Treasury Department. So there was only a very small sliver of truly private lending, which is where a bank or lender would go to a capital market and they would bear the risk if you defaulted. And that peaked for well, maybe four or five years, starting in the late 1990s, early 2000s. And then what they realized is this is a bad risk. They couldn't get people to pay it back. And that quickly petered out to an extremely small level of funding. So the private lending market seems to have learned from this. It's the federal government that hasn't because, of course, fiscal solvency isn't their concern. Their concern is to look to be as generous as you can to people whose vote you want and so you give them whatever money they need to go to college in the very superficial notion that any education at any amount at any price is always good. Unemployment rates for those with bachelor's degrees are considerably lower uh, across the board uh, than those who do, are just high school graduates. Uh, weekly earnings for people with bachelor's degree are, uh, at least according to uh, one measure, hundreds of dollars a week, five to $600 a week more than those who just have a high school diploma. Yeah, and so we have to go beyond just that part of the iceberg that we see. The first thing that's crucially important is roughly, we don't have great data where we can pinpoint this, so that's why we say roughly half of people who go to college will not finish. So they won't get that bachelor's degree, they won't get that associate's degree, they won't get that certification, but they will have spent money often some of theirs, and often a lot of the taxpayers, including loans, to get a degree which they never get. So they don't end up getting any of the additional earning power that they're going to school for. And then you have to realize that those numbers for those who are able to complete is the average. Well, about a third of people with bachelor's degrees are in jobs that don't require that degree. So lots of people are getting those pieces of paper and not accruing all the benefits. That said, there are lots of good things you can go to college for. You can go to a good college and you learn skills that are truly marketable and you can make a lot of money. Just about any kind of engineer still makes a lot of money out of college because they're bringing useful skills and abilities they could only get at college and that are in high demand because society needs them. Neil McCluskey is Associate Director of the Cato Institute's Center for Educational Freedom. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.